0: that reaction that your mast cells are just releasing all those chemicals, histamine being the one that everyone knows, Mm -hmm. Um, and it is that, you know, direct correlation with stress.
1: Welcome to the Super Well Podcast, your source for truly holistic and original perspectives on health and happiness. Each week, we take true dives into the key areas of life with true leaders and true conversations. It's your time for a Super Well Life.
2: Hello, super L team. Today it is time for another deep dive podcast. And the topic of conversation today is hay fever. We've just come out of the peak hay fever season in Melbourne, and we thought it'd be a great opportunity to try and go through some information around what causes hay fever and what we can do about it. So I have sat down with the two naturopaths at the practice, Rachel Marley and Fiona Chin, and we've had a great conversation around all the things that contribute to those nasty symptoms of hay fever that people get around springtime. The reason for the timing is that hay fever is something that takes um, quite a bit of change within the body to, in order for you to get the prevention of hay fever. Um, and if you're trying to address it in springtime, it's often a little bit too late because we need to try and get our body... Um, in a healthier place before spring arrives so that we can not overreact um, as people tend to do. So there's heaps of great material in here, Um, lots of takeaway, uh, lots of take homes. Um, So make sure uh, for all those hay fever sufferers out there, either yourself or people that you know, you share this information with because it will literally be uh, life-changing for people who suffer from hay fever if they listen to this material. So enjoy the podcast. Okay, here we are, chat about hay fever. So, we've just come out of hay fever season. The well, worst of yeah, it, it's well, still it in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the, the full-on brunt force that we get hit with at the start of spring. Um, and it's probably a good time to have a conversation because people are either still suffering or have you know, started to get over their hay fever um and it's probably fresh in their mind around the the effect that it has on them and their life so i thought it'd be a great time to start talking about what can be done about it and uh get people going in the right direction so they're prepared for next year to prevent it from happening so who wants to go first out of you two um for your rage about what it is an overview of actually what's happening in the body with hay fever
0: Sure.
2: Oh, Rachel's raised her eyebrows at me, so
1: I'll I'll start, I and mean, then Rachel can pat it out, and if I miss anything, so well, it's generally if we're talking about hay fever, uh, the definition of um, hay fever is an airborne allergen. Um, most commonly affects the respiratory tract, causing hay fever and asthma. So some people get asthma this time of year, and to know that that actually falls into the same category as hay fever for people that have seasonal asthma. Um, and allergic rhinitis. So that can all be classified or dumped into the what we're going to talk about today because it's all due to these environmental airborne allergens. It's an IgE-mediated immune response. Uh, so there's three major pathways in the immune system, IgE, IgG. Actually, there's an IgA and an IgM, so four. But IgE is um, a different part of the complement pathway, but basically it's where the immune system perceives a antigen in the body and then attacks it. Um, IgE is a proper allergic response, so it dumps a whole pile of what we call cytokines, which are like your inflammatory chemicals into the body and that then gives you all the symptoms that you get in hay fever. Um, it affects between 10 and 16% of people with 70% of all cases occurring before the age of 30. Um, and then symptoms wise it'll it'll mimic something like um, viral rhinitis so really runny blocked nose eyes tearing all the time some people get the tightness in the chest like I spoke about the asthma type um, symptoms where the bronchioles in the the lungs get inflamed Um, and then what else do you need to know the most common form of allergy involves the entire respiratory system so that's the nasal cavity the eyes the mouth the throat the bronchial and the lungs Um, And, of course, with people that already have pre-existing asthma, this can be um, quite severe that it will make asthma worse, so um, asthmatics often take higher doses of preventatives this time of year if they've really got that um, inflammatory response to environmental um, allergens. And there's also an inherited um, part of it, so generally 50%, if if your um, parent has an allergy, there's a 50% chance of children developing allergies as well. if you're lucky enough to have both parents with allergies, a 75 percent chance that you will develop it as well. So that's the basics in and out of it. Um, it's caused so you reckon
2: 30? You said by the age of 30. Yeah. So after the age of 30, if you haven't really suffered hay fever,
1: you're a lot less likely. Seventy percent yeah. of cases will happen before the age of 30. So um, if you haven't had it by the age of 30, you're a lot less likely to develop it. It is quite a childhood kind of thing and actually a lot of people do the opposite they grow out of it yeah um as the immune system becomes a bit more robust um and especially depending on diet and other factors yeah um, the immune system can learn to better respond to allergens and of course we were just talking before we started recording it'll also depend on what uh, allergens are in the season for that year um we know that you know we were talking about if people move climates and my husband's got terrible um hay fever and we moved to perth for four years and he didn't have hay fever once maybe for and i'm talking he has hay fever from his actually starts around about now and will kick in to about the end of jan because he's really ryegrass which is only just coming out now but in perth he may have had a week of it and that was it so definitely you have to be exposed to the allergen that your body perceives as a threat or that you're allergic to and then of course we'll have Compounding factors like what pollutants are around, how your immune system's been over winter, you know, if you had lots of virus loads and things like that, and if your immune system had a bit of a battering, um, and we're getting technical now, so pull me up, but secretory IgA, which is the immunoglobulin that coats all your mucous membranes and actually protects um, airborne allergens and food allergens from being able to pass the uh, mucous membrane barriers to get into the blood to provoke an immune system. If you've got low levels of secretory IgA uh, in the gut nasal passages, all of those sort of things, then you're more likely to have a more severe um, allergy reaction. And secretory IgA is um, protected by things like vitamin A and having good levels of that. Um, How healthy your gut microbiome really feeds into levels of secretory IgA um, and then just general overall health. But yeah, if you've been, if you've copped three or four you know, really bad colds or flus, your IgA levels actually get depleted. So you um, have a higher risk potentially of developing allergens because your mucous membranes aren't being protected like they should from the allergens. Cool.
0: Do you want to add to that, Rachel? What I I'm think there. you're done for you. I was mesmerized <laughs> <then>. <laughs> I, um,
2: I always talk about it as like a neuroimmunological yeah. issue in that, you know, there's a the part, if you, if you had to draw a flow chart, there's um, an exposure to something and then there's a reaction to that something. And you might have a reasonable level of um, whatever you are exposed to, pollen, but your body may um, detect it and overreact. Um, Or you might have um, a high level um, exposure to something that your body can't defend against, and then you get a normal reaction to that. Mm -hmm. Um, But you can still work on both of those arms. you Can become more resilient to you know having high level exposure. That's why you know my brother and I both live together for a long time. Uh, he gets far worse hay fever than I get. Uh, we're obviously genetically very similar, um, but you know, obviously my body doesn't respond to uh, in the environment like his does, so there's it's either not overreacting or it's um not misreading the situation, too. Yeah, um, so. I guess that's really the point is that you can have a normal pollen that your body thinks is higher than what it is. So it's like overreacting. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's an error in the detection um, or you can have an error in the reaction.
1: Yeah, and I guess it's both because, you know, like for me, I don't get any, I'm an annoying person that doesn't get any allergic rhinitis. So there's any pot, you can put a whole pile of pollen under my nose and there'll be zero reaction. So I, I think maybe to define that more than an overreaction because your body shouldn't react to pollen full stop. Yeah, um, but yeah, there's definitely differences in the loads. You know, like if my husband comes to the horses with me, and I have the horse feeds there, which is a mixture of all grasses and stuff, he's gone for days. Yeah. So then that's exactly what you're saying. That's an oh, he's been, he's already got a sensitive immune system that's already overreacting to rye grass, and then on top of that, I put him in front of rye grass, his immune system just loses its mind. <laughs> so. Yeah,
2: and I guess that's the detection thing, probably yeah. in that. You and I, if we go there, we still we still interact with it. Yeah. So there's still a detection. But, but a our body, just our body reaction. just says, "Oh, that's ryegrass. grass." Yeah. Whatever.
0: And oh, I nice. think at the basis of it, that's all it is. It's just a dysregulated immune response. Yeah. yeah. At the end of the day, and I think interestingly, when you were mentioning about um, having that genetic predisposition, and it's more common in childhood. Mm-hmm. So, like the research definitely shows that children that have even um, topical uh, like dermatitis eczema they have a much more increased chance of developing um, you know uh, allergies later in life um, hay fever allergic rhinitis and it's called like the atopic march yes so yeah it kind of starts in childhood yeah
1: maybe go into that right because that's that whole atopic march is really interesting how we see diseases are linked like things like asthma and eczema we often say in naturopathic terms it's the same disease it's asthma is like eczema of the lungs and it's as the disease moves deeper into the body tissue and then as it moves back out again, you know, as you're helping someone resolve asthma potentially, you'll see their eczema come back and then they'll develop allergic rhinitis. But the asthma may disappear and it's it's like the same immune response but happening in different organs and tissues. And, yeah, I find
0: I find that whole thing really it interesting. It is fascinating, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and, look, I think it depends... It always depends on the situation at the time, you know, because you know, s- stress, for example, that has a huge impact on the way that you can, um, you know, develop your your severity, I guess, of hay fever or allergies as well, because there's a direct correlation with the way your body responds, and we know that when you do have that um, that reaction, that your mast cells are just releasing all those chemicals, histamine being the one that everyone knows, mm-hmm. um, and it is that you know direct correlation with stress and, you know, the activation. So it is interesting. Um, And that atopy march, um, you see it. You see it in clinical practice all the time. Yeah. Yeah, it's Um,
1: definitely something I see all the time. I
0: find it fascinating.
1: Just diseases or a a pathology manifesting in different organs.
2: Mm. What about... um, Do you think it has any relation to the embryonic origins of your tissues? So... Like if you, if things come from the same embryonic origin, that they get that same, like you're talking about asthma and
1: asthma, Eczema, eczema
2: and yeah, do yeah. they come from the same same?
1: I don't well, I don't know. i I'll, I'll look it up. I'll whilst... have to look into that because you know, often we see psoriasis and MS go together. They're yep. two correlated diseases, mm. and often when people's MS improves, the psoriasis will flare up. And it's again, it's that it's called Herring's law of cure, which as well, they're uh,
2: both skin and nervous system are both ectoderm layers, Yeah, right? so and like, that's what I'm thinking though yeah. know,
1: with the whole myelin sheath and stuff. So mm. maybe I've never actually thought about it that way. Mm. Totally fascinating. You um, yeah, amazing. I always. I go like how in. your mind you just together. <laughs> um, Have you thought about this? Yeah, <laughs> so,
2: so I think it's good also to talk about thresholds because um, labeling of illnesses is a, a bit of a bugbear of mine. Yeah. If you have a day where you sneeze a little bit, doesn't necessarily mean you have hay fever. Okay, absolutely. Um, it's just like if you have a down day, doesn't you mean don't you don't have, have depression. depression. <laughs> um, yeah. So. It's got to be in existence for a period of time, and it has to be of a certain level of, um, you know, I guess, uh, physiological disruption.
1: Yeah. So, you know, the the common things that it will get diagnosed, I guess, for want of a better word, off is, you know, you'll have nasal um, obstruction, increased uh, secretions, so mucus from the nose sneezing. Uh, your mucous membranes will become itchy. At the uh, nose, the posterior pharynx, and um, the conjunctiva, which is around the eyes. Um, potentially sinus symptoms like headaches, pressure behind the eyes, pain in the frontal area. You know your tenderness over the cheekbones, chronic ear infections. You can even get stomach cramps uh, as histamine's released, and it can cause uh, vasodilation and um, yeah, vasodilation into the stomach. Um, digestive disturbances, constipation, diarrhoea, again, that's generally due to the histamine response. You can get skin, rash and hives, and you can actually have increased urinary frequency as a part of hay fever. Mm. Um, so they're the symptoms. They have to be uh, prolonged, and then a doctor will run a test. So they'll do something like a blood test looking for elevated eosinophils they're the particular part of the immune system that goes up in allergies so we've got like monocytes, neutrophils, basophils but it's the eosinophils that we see particularly raise in a allergic type reaction. Um, your doctor may do a RAS test which um, to check for IgE reactions to allergens that's often really common where we're seeing whether it's dust mites or pollen or whatever it is. Skin prick test, um, they'll do little skin wells to allergens so you'll um, anyone with really allergic tendencies will have had this done where you go home looking like a checkerboard mm-hmm. where your body produces a real histamine um, hive reaction. And then you know naturopaths may do something like an elimination rechallenge program where we remove an allergen, put it back in to see how your body reacts. Um, you'll often get an elevated total white blood cell count, like I mentioned the elevated eosonophils and inflammatory signs. So um, if I was doing the live blood analysis I'd be looking for urethrocyte aggravation. Fibrinogen and digestive sort of stuff um, as well. We might see something called hypersecretory platelets in a live blood. Um, yeah. So, but again, they have to be prolonged um, for a certain period of time for you to be able to have a diagnosis. Like Marcus is saying, if you're out there sneezing with the winds, it's a windy day, in Melbourne today. I was standing on my decking this morning having breakfast, and a whole handful of pollen went flying past my nose. Um, so it's a nice high, what I would call a high pollen day today. Yeah. But yeah, you'd, you'd, you'd want to be having those symptoms for sort of four or five days. And, you know, it's more than just the sneezing. It's all the other things that I said. If, if that's happening,
0: you may want to yeah.
1: go and have some blood tests and have a look and see what's going on there.
0: That's right, because it's not just about itchy eyes and runny nose. People can feel really poor oh, and... fatigued. Like, yeah, like yeah. they just don't want to get out of bed. Because yeah. Because it yeah, really affects the way that they function
2: all the energy production yeah. mm-hmm. even just laboring to breathe you know that yeah, yep. um, yeah it's going kind to of all compound isn't it the the, the downflow of um, problems in the body from those initial ones is significant too
0: yeah mm-hmm.
1: especially those you know once you've got that what we call mast cell degranulation and um, a histamine response you know histamine. I was saying it suddenly will change the way that your bladder works. Um, it'll change your whole digestive system. So That's right. it has quite a systemic effect in, in severe cases of allergic rhinitis and hair fever.
2: So I feel like we've got a good handle on what is what's actually happening, like what what it is. Um, why do you think people get it? So we know it. It's, it's obviously something that evolves, and we've talked about um, that march, um, the atopic march. So how does how do people present? clinically to you both um and what sort of um disruptions do they have in their body do you think that leave them susceptible to hay fever
0: so well if you're looking at kind of core i always go back to gut health um well you have to treat that as well but also symptomatically obviously you want to be getting um relief of the symptoms so people can actually feel better um but in terms of clients so i will get uh, I've seen a lot of children and they're just completely congested the whole day no relief they're using boxes of tissues during the day and at night as well um, some of them have had skin testing to see if, you know what they are reactive to um, so in that instance definitely symptomatic relief so not only looking at kind of gut microbiome but looking at nasopharyngeal microbiome essentially yeah. as well because you're looking at all the uh, mucous membranes and how to kind of change those so that they function how they should function um obviously you have to have the genetic susceptibility but then looking at um and trying to regulate the immune response and that comes through gut function
2: yeah yep. anything else do you think that they what let's go from a, a an action perspective like what can pe- what do people do in their life that causes them to have a disruption in their body like what What are people doing that leaves them susceptible? Or challenges their body to a point where their body then has this um, dysregulated immune system um, is it drinking too much beer eating the wrong foods you know let's go into down that path so people right. cannot really understand how they may actually be contributing to the development of their hay fever it's not something that's happening to them it's also you know something they have to consider that's coming from them their own lifestyle and actions mm.
1: so. yeah so well there's a few different there's so many layers here. There's obviously what Rachel was just speaking about, gut and diet. If you, So you've probably heard the, the word leaky gut syndrome um, caused by things like um, really high doses of antibiotics, too much alcohol, too much sugar, um, consuming foods that you've got a food sensitivity to, um, a lot of coffee. Those kind of things cause what we call leaky gut syndrome. So your gut... Um, tissue in your gut should be what we call the tight gap junctions should be really firm and regulated which means that only the things that should pass through that um, tight gap junction to cross into the bloodstream barrier behind the the digestive lining should go across and that should be completely digested food particles but what happens in leaky gut syndrome when you've got things like high doses of antibiotics or candida infections certain parasitic um, things an, an imbalance or a disruption to the microbiome where we get say, decrease in your mucus-producing microbiome that protects your gut lining, all these sort of things, low, um, low levels of secretory RGA, is that certain foods and irritants um, irritate the gut lining. And then what you happen is it's like blowing holes into your gut lining. And then you'll get undigested food particles crossing the gut barrier. And so that'll go in and your immune system sees, say, a half-broken-down pineapple, Actually, let's not use a pineapple. Let's use a piece of a a bagel with cream cheese. Mm -hmm. It's far more likely to produce an immune reaction because we use pineapple to treat um, a fever. So I don't want to give pineapple a bad rap here. So let's say you've had a nice cream cheese bagel um, and you've got leaky gut syndrome. You've had lots of antibiotics. As a result, you had um, some candida. Um, You love the beer, which just fed the candida even more. Your microbiome is not looking great. Um, and then you have your and you've got a slight allergy to, to dairy and a little bit of wheat one but it hasn't really caused you too much trouble but now you've had this candida infection lots of antibiotics down comes the bagel and cream cheese and it hasn't quite broken down and you've got a big protein crossing that gut barrier into the bloodstream and your immune system comes along and it's not when we break down food it's completely broken down into Vitamins, minerals and nutrients that the body can deal with and protein and macronutrients and things like that But when it's not properly broken down you get uh, amino acid chains crossing this gut barrier that your immune system has no idea what it is So your immune system comes past with its immune white blood cells and it goes Holy crap, what is that? This bagel cream cheese is not in my repertory of things that are allowed into the blood And so what it does is it mounts an immune response and it says, hey, immune friends, come check this thing out. This is not meant to be here. And then what happens is you get, just like when you cut yourself um, on your skin where your immune system sends a whole pile of inflammatory mediators to help heal, the gut, or if you've got a virus or a bacterial exposure, the immune system goes, that's not meant to be here and it mounts an immune response. And an immune response is inflammatory by nature. That's what an immune response is. And then if you're eating a lot of bagel cream cheeses, you're going to have more and more immune responses, and what actually happens is the immune response gets stronger mm. because the immune system thinks, "Why does this keep happening? It, I, this, this bagel cream cheese protein particle pits or amino acid chain keeps coming into my, um, you know, my view here, and I keep attacking it, and nothing's happening. It because you haven't removed the allergen, and so therefore you actually build a more and more of an immune response until you develop a full blown allergy. So where before four-year-old candida um, gut infection you could handle a bit of gluten and a bit of wheat and a bit of cream cheese and your immune system was like yeah we'll let that one go past the guard now you've developed a proper immune allergy and that's often why people develop food allergies and things later in life after they've had um you know exposure to leaky gut and all those sort of things It's why naturopaths harp on about leaky gut all the time <laughs> so that is one way that you will um yep. develop a a uh And and that would trip up the immune system. And so you get this um, immune system that really gets out of control and cycles out of control because it's really very confused. Because it's just trying to help you, right? So it's a bit confused why what it's doing is not working. So the immune response gets stronger. Um, Then we could go right out into... Um, quantum and talk about people that are Here we go, I love the quantum. <laughs> I love when
0: we go out into the quantum.
1: Out of the quantum, well, you know, you're reacting to your environment, right? Yeah. So if we look at it from a metaphysical point of view, like where are you reacting to your environment? What are you allergic to in your life? Um, you know, is it the boss? Is it. I'm looking at the boss you know, but you know, is it the boss? Is the you're husband? Is the children? Shoo! <laughs> 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 You know, is a, do you have a natural personality i have well, been
2: gone for 20 minutes and you haven't sneezed, so you can't be allergic <laughs> to <your environment.
1: laughs> You know, where you're... Yeah, you're allergic to your environment from an actual mental-emotional point of view. Yeah. You know, and, and then that folds into stress. Rachel spoke about, you know, a stress response, again, changes our cortisol levels. It regulates ephedrine and norepinephrine, um, adrenaline and noradrenaline. And um, those long-term have a huge effect on our immune system and our immune system's ability to function. And then, again, it's a learnt response. You know, if you're always feeling stressed in a certain environment at work and your immune system is now dysregulated due to high amounts of stress, it's the kind of same thing as a leaky gut. You know, your immune system suddenly learns that it has a whole change in its function whenever you're in a certain environment. And then you learn to become, and I'm doing air quotes here, allergic to your environment.
2: (laughs) And that's quite what Mm. I meant by that, you know, a normal level of pollen for you and I, for someone else gets, they're on high alert. Yes. So then their body hasn't... Hypervigilance, the immune system. The reaction is is way over the top compared to the exposure. Yeah. What about other exposures, Rach? Like, I mean, we've talked about pollen, which obviously is, you know, um, nature-based. What about dust mites and dust and um, things like that?
0: dust mites is actually really common Um, and the other one is mould sensitivity so people can be really quite reactive to mould as well Um, and unfortunately dust mites love to live everywhere Um, (laughs) they're feasting on your skin cells that's right but it is just the same um, kind of theory like it is just a dysregulated immune response it's just something else that you're reactive to Um, and I loved what Fee was talking about with um, how food does come into this because once you've got that inflammatory response happening it's like a cascade mm. and then you can just become start becoming reactive to so many more different allergens foods um, and it can get out of control definitely yeah. Um, so yeah but there's really good uh, effective ways of kind of controlling um, yep. the responses to or limiting you know numbers of bed mites as well so, mm. or dust mites
2: dust mites and I guess to be, you can take that pollutant conversation everywhere. Absolutely,
0: like, yeah. You know, and that's, you what know... What are you
2: burning in your house? What other? Oh, know? like,
1: man, What's if you've couches? got scented, fake, cheap candles and yeah. you've got those plug-ins with yeah. those fake smells that give me a migraine within two seconds. Carpets
2: that are off-gassing. New houses, off-gassing, new cars, you know, yeah. all
1: of that stuff. Like, we, our exposure mm-hmm. to environmental chemicals and pollutants, uh, yeah. It you know, it just goes up every year. I mean far out we're talking about bringing five G and don't even get me started oh, on that. No. Oh please research five G people. But <laughs> like, you know, the electromagnetics and the effect that it has on our body's ability to protect itself and I heard a
2: really um really cool thing the other day, uh, Chris Hemsworth, That's Thor, isn't it? Thor, yeah. yeah. Chris Hemsworth. So he's built this Hotel-sized house in Byron Bay. Yes, I know. And he's got Australian-first technology there, where once you get inside the perimeter of his property, it shuts down all of your gadgets. Right. So you have no. You can't get any cellular. um, You have to. I've heard the rumor. You have to connect to his um, network inside his property. Yeah. Um, So it means it stops people from like sending photos out, or you know, it's a security mechanism. But I want one of them. Just to go around in. A bit like the Pope Mobile. <laughs> <Yes. Yeah. laughs> your, so, yeah. your own like protection. Um yeah, that that sounds pretty interesting and um obviously when technologies like that are also being developed at the same time, then you know that um there's some reasons behind it um that we need to be aware of. So yeah, people read up. Yeah, there's a
1: great five uh, G summit. Uh it's over now, but I think you can still get access to the recordings with some Really great research about EMFs and the effects that it has on our bodies. So um,
0: definitely worth a read on that. And there's no avoiding. There's no avoiding your exposure to high amounts of environmental toxins and pollutants.
1: Not unless you move to Antarctica. No.
0: <laughs> but um, I guess it's just about what you're doing internally, yeah. externally. And I loved their kind of quantum stuff as well. Yeah, because, and emotionally, you know, mm-hmm. I think that w- always feeds into it.
1: You know, often our body takes over as the mind. So, if we are feeling like we are not happy or allergic to our environment, the body generally follows suit, and it it mimics how our minds are thinking. So, it becomes it just develops an allergic tendency. Mm. Um, Is how the body mind mm. kind of works. It's called psychoimmunoimmunology. It's a nice big word, but <laughs> <laughs> it's um done lots of research on it.
2: So. We know what's going on in the body now, um, and some of the things that are causing it to trigger off. Mm -hmm. Um, From a management perspective, I've always found it interesting that people just focus on the combating of the symptoms once it arrives, when really we need to start the healing process a long time before that. Mm -hmm. So let's have a chat about a strategy. We're right in the middle of, actually we're coming to the end of spring, only a month ago, as of tomorrow. It's amazing. Holy cow. Um, but we, we are in, in spring here in Melbourne, so what I want to do is sort of talk about when should we start this process? Obviously, no better day than today, but, um, and how that would look. Like, what do we um, get straight in at, you know, gut, stout, gut stuff, or do we do, work on the inflammation first or at the same time? How would you structure things up um, to try and help someone through this process, so that next spring, um, when the pollen comes out, particularly around this this clinic, when all the beautiful trees blossom, so pretty. Um, <laughs> how do we how do we help protect people from the symptoms of hay fever?
0: Well, I guess um, if someone presents you with um, severe hay fever, you go straight. Well, I go straight in with symptom relief, um, whilst we start tackling underneath. So, there's some really good um, nutrients. That you can um, have, like vitamin C, quercetin's brilliant, um, and bromelain. As you were talking about pineapples before, mm-hmm. which is uh, found in pineapples
2: in the core, really. You like yeah, so improve.
0: don't throw the core away. It's my favourite part. In. Blend yeah, it up. Yeah, part. yeah. Um, Need a hardcore blender sometimes. Yeah, you it. do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, kind of tackling symptomatically, but also then you have to address why it's happening. So focusing on regulating the immune system through looking at gut health. So not only trying to identify what they're allergic to, so they may already know that they're allergic to pollens, but there could be some food-based allergens as well happening, Mm -hmm. um, which you can test for as well, um, through some IgG testing, something I commonly use. And sometimes that can come back off the scale, but all that means is that your gut barrier function is really, so you really have um, high leaky gut. Again, um, so it's
2: not the actual food, it's no. your body's reaction, which we're talking about here. That's again. right. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, yeah. And too many things are passing that blood, yeah. blood that gut barrier so yeah. the immune system's hypervigilant. Mm.
0: So starting to address that right off right from the beginning, basically, yeah. as well as tackling symptomatically. So when you look at that, you look at um, specific or strain specific probiotics. So yeah. to really How work. do you
2: assess someone before we get into the treatment? Like how yeah. do you like how do you look at me you so, say hey, I hay fever what what data do you get from me besides obviously talking about lifestyle and diet is mm. there anything else that you any testing that you would recommend blood tests, stool tests anything like that
0: it's always good to have a look at blood tests yep. definitely um, to look at the white blood cells which we touched on at the beginning yep. um, in terms of other kind of food based allergens IgG testing which is a skin prick test yep. that's really effective yeah we talked about it yeah, yep. oh, and that um, tests up to well, it's about ninety six different foods. I think it's more now. Actually, yeah. wow. i have raised it to two fourteen. Yeah, two fourteen. Yeah, 214. Mm-hmm.
1: I just did it, allergic to nothing. It was a very boring test. Good. <laughs> that's a cool <good> one. <laughs> um, I'm I'm very very interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm. I just like to know stuff. Yeah, like no, that's good. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's
2: not that good that you like. Yeah. Why <laughs> did I to find this? Oh out? no. Um, yeah, so anything else? What about microbiome testing? Do you, Look, do you, you could, include that in there?
0: You could. Um, it's probably not something I jump straight into. Yeah. Um, definitely just I try to assess what the actual cause is first. Mm-hmm. But microbiome testing is something that is really beneficial um, yeah. if you really want to get to. Yeah, shifting. Yeah, and I'd add, I always would
1: run a vitamin D because vitamin D codes the HLA genes, and the HLA genes are the genes that tell your immune system what's friend and what's foe. So, if you're low in vitamin D, you're more likely to have a confused immune system that's going to start attacking things that shouldn't. Zinc is great to check because zinc is the major nutrient that heals a permeable gut. So, often when we're low in zinc, it means the gut lining can't heal itself properly. So, it's always good to know where our zinc levels are, and histamine you can do a whole blood histamine and actually just see if your body's pumping out the histamine levels too much and maybe like a, an ESR and a HSCRP which is, a, they're both inflammatory markers to see if there's a mass upregulation in the immune system you don't often see those in hay fever but sometimes you do and if you do, you know there's this huge systemic inflammatory process going on so those ones mm. the GPs can run are often um, useful just to have mm. on the side as well just for a bit of extra info yeah on
2: basic testing also i think you know other lifestyle assessment stress neurological stress right, yeah mm-hmm. and, and actually the
1: bio concepts um even physical stress yeah yeah so if you start way.
2: interrupting how people are physically shaped and moving then that causes s- s- um, nervous system stress which has that flow down effect too so mm, absolutely
0: um
2: again a, as it always comes back to a good holistic assessment yeah you know, it's yeah. important yeah for sure um, so then Rach where do you go from there then so you get all this information um and then you you started going down that path um before we cut back to this which was around implementing so you reduce information reduce the symptoms you know, the, the initially yep then start working on the gut yep and then you were about to go down that path and then we we cut back so keep going
0: so depending on what comes back in testing like the blood um, pathology is really really good all of what Fee said um, is great to have a look at so you can actually get quite targeted with nutrients as well we know what nutrients are really good at relieving symptoms um, mm-hmm. and to help to regulate the immune system but when you're looking at kind of gut and and triggers to well, the first step I always go to in reducing inflammation is remove the trigger Mm -hmm. So once you've done the test, if you find out that there's five foods that this people is quite reactive to, they have to be eliminated out of the time. You've got to get them out so you can start the healing. Um, And then strain-specific probiotic treatment. So there's lots of different strains that do lots of different things. Um, And a lot of of it is targeted around kind of gut, gut barrier function and making sure that permeability isn't increased so that the immune system doesn't have a party. So do you have a,
2: um, I remember way back, I don't know, I must have been second year out of uni, I think, um, it's a while ago now, I read a study, it was in the Metagenics, um, newsletter, and they were talking about different probiotic strains to do with atopic allergies, Mm -hmm. or atopic, I'm not sure which way you'd say it, but. They were talking about um, LGG, like like lactobacillus rhamnosus has been hugely effective in that realm. But they also said that if you take, um, I've just had a brain fade. What's a really common one that they put in that's always on TV?
1: Lactobacillus.
2: Yeah, and then something.
1: Um, Lactobacillus and bifidus. Yeah, and there was another
2: one. Uh, I'll think of it in a minute. Um, They were saying that that this particular strain can actually be, um, pro-allergenic as well, so um, if you have too much of it,
0: um, well, I guess that's sh- a risk. I think also with probiotics. So if you do have a really lanky gut, you do have to be careful with probiotics. That's right, because it will. It, they will unless, yeah, you're absolutely right,
1: Rach. This is my bugbear a little bit too, because really sick people where they've been put on probiotics too early actually get sick because the probiotics as is right, yeah. Yeah. it's not getting down into the gut. It's what's happening is. Higher up, it's crossing this leaky gut, and then your immune system reacts to it, and then you develop an allergy to the gut bacteria, and then you have a whole pile of other things going on. Which is why what is saying: you heal the gut first.
0: That's right. And, yeah. then, and if it's really severe, you just have to go slow. Yeah, you know, like it's it's um, the, the small steps can have the greatest healing, definitely long term. And gut health anyway um, takes time. Like I'd always give a minimum of three to four months of treatment more often but a minimum just to start to you know get some really good traction and gut healing basically
2: mm-hmm. cool and so in terms of we spoke a little bit about um strain specific treatment there with, mm. with probiotics um other herbs other nutrients um uh, we had talked about zinc um just before. Yeah, mm-hmm. any other herbs or anything that oh, helpful
1: albizia bone mm-hmm. skull cap yeah. Um, they're probably my two favorite. And then Rachel already mentioned Crisitin and yeah. Bromelain. And, you know, like I often get my guys, my patients, as long as they didn't have pineapple test on their IgG test <laughs> to have, um, to eat a lot of pineapple. Yeah, Um, just doing it through the diet. waiting at home. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. And then if you've got, um, if you've got really high histamine levels and it is having a, um, action on the gut. So, so you're getting looser bowel motions and things like that. I really like using something called Toxoprevent. Um, the toxin prevent, which is kind of like active clay, but in a really small form, and I can't remember. It's like China, Santa, Nixa, Yangfong. It's a really, that's a really, really hard, hard name. Word, yeah. But it, it binds histamine in the gut, um, and it oh, absorbs. Never heard of that. Yeah, I use it's it. It's really effective. It's really yeah. effective. I use it a lot in patients um, that are really allergic to everything, and some people are really super sensitive to supplements, and so, and that's because the body. Dumps a whole pile of chemicals when anything comes in it. You've got this really over-vigilant immune system, um, and then I use something like a toxic prevent, which just binds all the histamines and all the you know the byproducts of an allergic reaction. Which just then, on top of doing things like glutamine, which is glutamine and zinc. If you think about if you are laying a building, is like your bricks is your mortar that goes in between your bricks. It mm-hmm. like patches everything up. Mm-hmm. So zinc and glutamine are great and then your toxoprevent all these like bioactive clays it's like dabbing around the outside of that and absorbing all the stuff that may stop your mortar setting properly yeah i don't think there's such a thing in building terms but let's pretend there is
2: (laughs) sponging it off yeah Yeah, it's like space is when you get your nice little trolley thing and and
1: it just absorbs all of that stuff that say like if it was a an acid that may attack the um, yeah the the mortar this the Toxoprevent sort of stops all of that stuff. Really great for super sensitive patients. So if I'm ever doing gut work with a someone that's just that hypervigilant that I'm worried that they may have a reaction to something I give them, I'd give them high doses of Toxoprevent away from all the other supplements, and it just binds all those nasty toxins that their bodies have just gotten so used to spewing out but we've got golden rod and golden seal and
0: good old echinacea echinacea yeah absolutely as well as a thousand other things. it does but But
1: baptisia and elder i mean there's a whole pile of herbs that are and now foods
2: so if you i mean this obviously it's very specific to the individual um but um are there any foods that tend to be more um Reactive inflammatory that, that for people with hay fever, yeah, versus and
1: it's the classics, mm. uh, yeah. it's the, it's the sugar, the yeast, the gluten, the dairy, yes. absolutely. You know, and if it's if people are really allergic, they love me as an I think cup it's cup.
2: funny because we for us it's like repeat, repeat, yeah, but a lot of people don't necessarily make these connections, yeah, um, they're really listening to this, yeah, they, mm-hmm.
1: yeah. Yeah, and that's, I guess that's the word for them. They're pro-inflammatory foods. And if you don't have a system that is subject to being tipped over by inflammatory-producing substances coming in, then that's okay. But unfortunately, in our environment with what we're exposed to, like we're talking about EMS and pollution and stress, and most people have a pro-inflammatory-type system. That's what happens just living day-to-day in this environment. And so when you've put in on top of that, gluten, um, and and whether it's, you know, so many people have the genes that make you prone to a gluten sensitivity. So you may not be celiac, you just may have a gluten sensitivity. And again, it's all about load. If you've already got allergens and everything else, and then you put on top of that, it's like adding gasoline to a fire, you know, sugar, which just punches holes through the gut, Um, lots of alcohol, um, gluten, dairy, refined processed foods, all of those your body has a harder task to break down and recognize it as friend versus foe, and all of those will just tip
0: you more into an inflammatory response. That's right. And, yeah. And everybody, whoever eats gluten, which you know m- m- most people do, um, whenever you eat it, it, in everybody it creates permeability, um, and if you have. Uh, gut microbiome that's functioning really well so that permeability will decrease and everything will resume back to normal after about an hour and a half yeah but if you don't like most of the population um it remains kind of highly permeable and then Mm. you go and have some more gluten at lunchtime and then it continues and the cascade begins yeah we might do
2: a deep dive on gluten one day but i think it's worth just pointing that out because i I was at a seminar once i remember someone talking about zonulin yeah Mm. and in the same
1: the zonulin is something that your stomach produces um, and in your, micro, in your um, intestinal permeability along that barrier there. Zonulin's part of that, just yeah. to give you context.
2: And <laughs> it was to do with our ability to regulate that in relation to gluten. I can't mm. remember the exact thing, but the, the, he made a statement which said every single person in the world has an allergy to gluten. It's yes. just about how much... Wow, um, it, affects right. it affects you, yep. right? And so that's essentially what Rage was saying—that it's yep. going to create permeability for everyone. Yeah. Yep. So the damage gets done. So total load and how often you do it yes. is, you know, crucial in that conversation.
1: Yeah. And it is, you know, don't think we're just these boring naturopaths that <laughs> half <have laughs> about, about gloop. I mean, there are proper studies done in all of that sort of stuff, and it's.
2: There's a great. What's that guy's? The Italian. It, Alessi, Alessio. Alessio, Alessio no, no, mm. Yeah. He's a gastroenterologist. He's the world leader in this conversation really is he was he? the one you're talking about he yeah.
1: had it was at a metagenics conference i don't know exactly i remember yeah. sitting there listening to the same lecture yeah yeah and yeah.
0: sometimes like as i mentioned before removing the inflammatory foods or your the foods you're reactive to can be like the biggest step in reducing inflammation mm-hmm. like even though some, a lot of the time we might recommend a gluten-free diet yeah sometimes it's only for temperate yeah absolutely just to reduce the heal. Yeah, yeah exactly.
1: exactly right. yeah. I mean, if you think about it, right, our whole mucosal system, right through our nasal passages and through our gut, right to our anus, is a barrier between the external world and the internal world. Oh, we had we, this chat the other day. Yeah, didn't we, actually, and, you yeah. Go and you're go. you taking things from the outside that don't belong in your body, shoving it in your mouth, inhaling it up your nose, whatever you're doing with it. Hopefully you're not going the other way. It's all meant to go from top to bottom just so nobody knows. <laughs> and, and then your body has to barrier that. And so it only allows through what it can deal with. And when we have these intestinal permeabilities, you're allowing things into your internal environment from the external environment that you're meant to be protected from. And so things like gluten and everything like that just allow you to have a closer exposure to the external environment that's not meant to be there. And so, of course, your immune system has a freak out and it gets upregulated. And, yeah. You know, that's the whole purpose of the whole mucous membrane and, you know, in the gut and everything like that. It's an empty tube that runs from top to bottom. And, and we it's not thick It's not a th- It's not thick no. at all. It's only single cell yeah. and mu- mucus yeah lining. Yeah. And then we go and tip all these crazy things into it. And then we wonder why our bodies are so upset at it. It's just like, wow. <laughs> you
2: yep. know. I think people don't really recognize that. Yeah. Um, and the, the inside, let's just repeat this again. Inside your intestines, it's a, it's like a tube. It's a hole. Yeah. And that hole is actually outside your body. Correct. Even though it lives inside, internally yes. inside your skin, between your mouth and your bum, Yeah. is a really long tube. And the air in that tube... <laughs> Or the, the space in that tube is actually outside, outside your body. And the bugs, the good bacteria, the microbiome, that's all there to defend you. Yes. Um,
1: and we don't help it by putting like, stuff in. <laughs> yeah,
2: they're like soldiers outside the castle wall. Yeah. You know, defending. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is really, really important. And a lot of people will probably sit thinking, wow. Yeah. You never thought
1: of it like that. Yeah. And I, you just think about it, right? You've got your little guys defending it and you have a choice of what they defend. So you can put down a nice piece of bok choy, which it goes no problem, or you can throw it at a big back hamburger that, you know, you've seen the things where you sit them on a bench and it never goes moldy. Yeah, it's like and, and, you know, and it's, that's like saying, having the Dalai Lama come and visit your castle or having now to be very politically correct, what I say here, mm-hmm. so I'm just going to think about. We'll just go monsters, yeah. a whole pile of alien monsters that, that want to attack us, coming in and visiting Come. your castle. <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh, is that where you're going? <laughs> yeah. So you know, like oh, totally. you know, you have a choice about right. who comes to visit your castle. That's right, mm. yep. and I think
2: that where you were going, Rachel, is that. Um, not enough value is placed around the body's power to heal itself Excellent. anywhere in the in the medical world, but the body is self-healing, self-regulating, and our intention as people, even as practitioners sometimes, we overreach to try and force the body to do something faster than it's actually capable of doing. And sometimes the best thing to do is actually to just take away whatever's causing a harm and just let it heal itself, mm. um, and that, that can be enough. Um and then sometimes if it's gone too far and you're in that chronic inflammatory state, that's when that supplementation and um, also all sorts of other things, the probiotics and all the other things that require to help bring the body back to balance come into play. But at first and foremost, you have to give it a shot at trying to heal itself by yeah. not hurting it. Yes.
0: That's right. And there's supplements for a reason. Um, and they can definitely get some great symptom relief up front depending on the yeah. severity. But I don't know what your opinion is, Steve, But um, like probiotics, if you're a healthy individual, I don't think people need to take probiotics all the time. No, I you don't do a bit take
1: of it. no, a bit of fermented food. If you if you're including things in your diet du- like resistant starches, you know, like um, cooled down uh, sweet potato and reheated, and like bananas, and all those things that have these well, because, rice. Rice, yeah, all these things that have these amazing resistant starches in them. That is fuel for your microbiome. Then on top of that, if you're eating a little bit of kimchi or sauerkraut yeah. or those kind of things, they'll naturally feed it. That's if you've got a good microbiome to That's start right. with. Sometimes it's like having a... Some people are lucky. They're born with a bed of roses and they've got these beautiful gardens that just naturally flourish. Other people are more born with... Weeds. Cape weed. Capeweed. Yeah. Bloody cape weed. Mm-hmm. My horses. You know, and you know, you can... Poor fertilizer, not fertilizer. You can put weed killer on it, and nothing happens. It just comes straight back the next year. And so, it's about finding out what your microbiome's doing, and then weeding it if it needs to be weeded, and planting in whatever you want to go in there. Or sometimes, exactly like you're saying, people have got a pretty good established garden. Sometimes it just need to take the you just do a br- rubbish removal, yep. and then yep. feed it with some fertilizer, with some resistant starches, and some some water, you know, some fermented yes, yeah, old water, and good food, and not
0: eating sugar and stuff and it will flourish all by itself and, and that's down. the end goal like yeah
2: exactly. you know, if you could get to that point that's amazing yeah. yeah we did talk about that actually on the podcast I don't know we did it one where I had that infection in my elbow oh yeah and um and I and when I was I'd done intravenous antibiotics and when I was sitting there in the hospital having these antibiotics pumped in I was researching what they were doing to me and what i had to do what i had to do to, this is what marcus yeah, does what i had to do to fix it and then i did come across i actually came across Microba, which is the company who have done the new, who paired with metagenics yeah. to do the new microbiome test yeah um and i was reading a whole bunch of material on their website um research that had been done on um the return of your natural microbiome and how probiotics can actually slow it down or yeah. interfere so sometimes they're not necessary yeah, it's it's a hard. I feel for you too because that space changes almost weekly. You know, mm. in terms of recommendations, it's hard to keep it, up. It's but... really hard,
1: you because know, sometimes you know, I was at that microbiota training, and they're saying, you know, they're telling me that blastocystis and some people is fine to have in the gut, and we get taught the opposite. You know, and some and and it's individual, mm. so it's a bit like how we always treat people. in previous that we've had right, a micro, a healthy microbiome looks like this, but maybe a healthy microbiome doesn't look like that for you.
0: Yeah. maybe
1: if you a say atopic and you know have a really high propensity to allergies maybe we want more of the mucus producers in your gut and we want guys that are better protein degraders, and and you know which they you know they may say isn't exactly what you want and maybe for me with like an autoimmune disease i want a completely different balance in there um so and that was the other thing that they spoke about um where I think I must have listened to the same thing you did, that when you go and put in probiotics and things like that in some people that have... The body is really good at this self-regulation thing. If you're eating well and you're not stressed, I have to put all of that in brackets. Yeah. If you're drinking coffee and sugar and all the stuff that's going to destroy a microbiome, that, this doesn't apply. But, you know, sometimes people are, you know, really good and healthy and you get a microbiome test back and you think that doesn't make a lot of sense. Right. But they're not gutty if you really take... Yeah. And this is why taking a really good case history is important because... You know, in a lot of autoimmune conditions, we look at the gut. But if I look at my case, mine is not gut-driven. You know, I like eat really well; my microbiome's is good. Um, and so you, we wouldn't treat that way. We would look at that, and you know, it's just fine. Again, it's, at, you've got you to just, treat the you person, just look not at the you disease. You're going hard you can, at everything that you do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> probably more likely what's <laughs> causing it. <that> <laughs> no, 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 so no. it's you know, it's always treat the person, not the disease cause not effect. And yeah. So why
2: wouldn't we just? Small change of tack pop a towel fast. Or,
1: well, that's a great question. Uh, so,
2: like what ha- Obviously, a lot of people do that. Yeah. Uh, and it s- helps them get that immediate relief of yeah, symptoms. Yeah. But what are the flow down effects of, getting, of doing that potentially for people? So your steroids and your immune yeah.
1: your caveat, potential. Well, to start with, corticosteroids actually increase intestinal permeability. Um, so long-term steroid use and even up the nasal sprays, you're going to create mucosal um, permeability through the nasal passage. And as a cause here, you know you've got a chronic, say you've got a chronic bacterial infection, and then you're pumping a corticosteroid up there. You're going to make the barrier between the blood-brain barrier into your brain and your nasal passage more permeable. There are studies to suggest people with chronic sinusitis. Are more likely to get things like multiple sclerosis because, especially if you're spraying a lot of corticosteroids up there, because just like we're talking about, the gut has a permeability, the blood-brain barrier does, and of course your sinus area is are a beautiful place for bacteria to suddenly cross across there if you've damaged that. So that's something steroids can do. Then um, you've got your telfast and all of those guys, which are antihistamine um, reactors, which you know they play around, they actually do play around with gut function and. Yeah.
2: So they can't, they can't, they can the inflammatory mm. response, right? Yes. Which helps with the symptom management yeah. for people. They're obviously not fixing anything. No, right? no they are not correcting down. any of the problems that occur.
1: Yeah, it's like, you know, it's like you've got your immune system's trying to do something and the drug tells the immune system not to do it. So it suppresses the immune function that's happening naturally. Because you again, your immune system thinks it's doing you a favour. Yeah. That's right. Mm. It's mounted an army to protect you. Yep. From things that you need to be protected from, and then yep. it's like you put something in, and your immune system's like it's been shut off.
2: Yeah, and then it will rebound.
1: It re- exactly. You get it's a bit rebound. like
2: having an antacid. Yeah. You know, you have some too, a little bit of excess acid in your stomach because you've eaten something. Yeah. You get a bit um, refluxy or heartburny, so you pop an antacid, and then yeah. next I mean, you feel better, but then shortly after that. Your body says, "Hang on, I need acid," yeah, and squirts more acid out. Yeah, right. that's right. And then long
1: term, you get the opposite. You get a reduction in your body's like fine, and then it yeah, starts producing acid. Body. You wear it out. You yeah. wear it down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's the same with the immune response. I guess you know, short term, you get you're more likely to get what we call a rebound effect. So then it happens that you have to first of all, you take your antihistamine twice a day, and that works. And then suddenly that's not enough, and now you have to take your histamine antihistamine or five times a day and then long term you get the opposite effect where the immune system becomes what we call exhausted and then it doesn't mount at all but you still get everything going on behind it so you're like oh this is great i'm getting so many allergies but then you move on to more a chronic immune response which is where we see our autoimmune Mm. diseases and um, a dysregulation from allergies which is in the t helper 2 side of the immune system so you've got this it's kind of like a seesaw but a bit more complicated than that but if you think of a seesaw you've got the T helper 1 reaction on one side which is autoimmunity and then T helper 2 reactions which are the allergies and all of those things and then what's happening in um, allergies is you've got the C source tipped and T helper 2 is up the top and T helper 1's down regulated and then long term if you exhaust the T helper 2s it goes down and T helper 1 goes up and you're more prone to autoimmune type diseases which of course we don't want people getting no no
2: so tell fast is off the list of a good strategy
1: for long-term, hey, For long-term, yeah. you know, if you haven't had it before and you've got a short bout and, yeah, yeah maybe, and then looking at treating it cause. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but long-term, <laughs> I mean, about. it's always, I mean, our motto is always you've got to treat the cause, right? Yeah. That's right. And that's not it. the effect. And, it, you know, if you can pop Telfast, fast, but you keep drinking, you know, copious amounts of beer and pro foods and sniffing, sticking your nose in pollen, that's not addressing the cause, you know. We want to...
2: All you're doing is continuing to create more harm and reducing your body's ability to adapt to it. That's exactly right. Which creates more harm.
1: Yeah. So, you know, my thing would be work with your body and let someone have a look at that. And, you know, if you can find the cause, then you can do a whole pile of things to help your body heal itself. As you were saying, the body is amazing at healing itself when we give it the right
0: circumstance and environment to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. That's right. And chronic disease, like, it's so prevalent. I think the stats are, like, one in three. Yeah. Cancer's now one in two. One in two. It might be one in two. I think it's one in three. I think you're yes. right. Chronic, chronic disease, I think, is
1: one in three. But cancer, I know maybe they've scheduled that differently. But isn't that scary that 50% of people that you know will have cancer? It boggles my brains.
2: Mm. Well, also, I found this interesting once when I was reading about um, the BRCA gene. Oh, yeah. Um, which I don't want to go into too much cause it's a very sensitive topic but yeah. Um, some of the stats and I was talking about um, ladies and breast cancer and um, it was something like after a certain age a certain percentage let's say it was after age 80 80% of women with the BRCA gene will have breast cancer I was like I wonder how many people have a form of how many females over the age of 80 would have a form of cancer yeah it would have to be up around 80 anyway yeah so I like mm. um it's so common because people live so long now as well, yes, you know. Yeah. Um, it, what would be interesting would be seeing what sort of level of cancer there is in younger populations now. Yeah. You know, age 20 to 30, or yes. 30 to 40. Yeah. And seeing what's happening there because that's kind of scary. But yeah. When you're seeing those rising up.
1: And um, in healthy people, you know. Even mm. in chronic disease, I'm seeing people that, you know, generally have eaten pretty well all their lives and exercise and stuff coming down with chronic diseases. And mm. it's like... Yeah, that's this old environmental stuff. So I think be, um, yeah. a
2: good summary, unless have you got anything to add? No. To the hay fever chat? <laughs> <No>? chew. <Achoo>. Yeah, <laughs> I think a good summary then really comes back to, it all comes back to making sure you limit the harm that you're doing to your body mm-hmm. with your own lifestyle. And you need to do that for a long enough period of time for the information to res- to reduce, mm-hmm. your gut to really heal up mm-hmm. um, and then obviously off the back of that it gives your immune system a chance to also um, get itself back into regular behavior mm-hmm. once your gut is properly healed um, and then that is really the best way to prevent hay fever um, and that you would usually it sounds like it probably will take around six months for that all to occur
1: to um, probably get through a gut yeah. program and then reintroduce and rechallenge foods and yeah. you know make sure the load's down yeah, yeah i think absolutely. so yeah minimum and um, that's the thing like we don't do, unfortunately we've got no fast fixes we can do well we can treat symptomatically but you're talking yeah. about the proper treating the. well yeah so probably? if you don't want it to come yeah then you really need to go through yeah. this sort
2: of um protocol and it's it's not that you can't ever have anything ever again no it's just that you need to get yourself healthy first so yeah. that you have that resistance back
0: Exactly. And I think when you start to remove those inflammatory triggers, you know, if it's related to hay fever, um, people will notice a big shift in how they feel in general. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the brain fog that they might have might yep. suddenly disappear, they might have more energy, mm-hmm. and then you didn't actually realise how Gut bad Gut function you... improves. Yeah.
1: Wow! Like, one mm-hmm. client, like, came to see me for hay fever, and then she's like, is it normal that I should have a bowel motion every day? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> what was happening before... What? She's like, oh, yeah, once every three or four days. I'm like, how did we not discuss that? Like, yeah. Yeah. Wow.
2: She um, should be a new woman.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So all those things will change. So.
2: Cool. Great. Well, thanks for the chat. Um, and if anyone needs hay fever help or wants some assistance in riding the ship, <laughs> these two ladies are the people you need to chat with.
0: It's you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to the Superwell podcast. For more information on any of our episodes, head over to www.superwell.com.au and you can get all the episodes there. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, you can also find links to iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. And if you want to continue the conversation on with us, then head over to our Instagram page at LiveSuperwell and follow us there and comment under each episode. Uh, If you want to give us any feedback, you can also get in touch via email on the webpage too. So until next episode, live super well.